Hey, this is Andy from the TGP Fit Podcast, where we discuss functional fitness, health, well-being, and becoming your best version. If you're looking to be your best in the gym, on the competition floor, or just in everyday life, listen in with Carter Douglas, the creator of The Game Plan, and myself. We'll be discussing topics and strategies that you can put to practice right away to build long-term habits for life. All right, guys, welcome to the podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. We have James Fitzgerald. And um, James, uh, just so uh, I can give the viewers a bit of a background of who you are, for those that don't know who you are, could you give us a bit of a, um, a description of your past and you know, what you're doing right now? Yeah, um, I'm a 46-year-old male. I've uh, been married for uh, 15 years with my wife for 20 years. I have two beautiful children, uh, two young girls, 13 and 11. Um, I have a business, I'm a founder of OPEX, uh, which is a global education, uh, fitness education company. Um, my early beginnings personally was a young kid as an athlete. And, uh, then with that practice of sport, um, it led into me discovering, uh, through an injury in sport, uh, the beauty around physical expression. And, uh, then I wanted to learn about it. So I went to university and Learned about it, came out, and uh, started to practice all those things around strength conditioning as to what you know, what suit you put on when you came out at that period of time. Um, and I did that from uh, the mid '90s up until today, really, in different ways. Um, and in that period of time, um, had a lot of fun. So that's uh, basically it. Awesome. So it's pretty much been your whole life then. Uh, yeah, I guess you could say that the, my earliest memories of, uh, physical, um, experiences are foremost in my brain. So I think, uh, like, I don't, yeah. I don't remember birthdays or my first girlfriend or, um, a lot of other things, but I do remember lacing the skates up, you know, um, and okay. like to, to compete and be physical. Sweet, sweet. So I've got my first question for you. Pretty much every video I've seen you in, you're always sitting in front of that library. Uh, have you read every single one of the books in that almost. library? Yeah, almost. Uh, there's, I took a couple of them with me this summer up here. Um, I'm currently in my summer home, which is north of Arizona, where I generally reside. Um, yeah, I got uh, maybe five or six more to complete in there. Um, it's a, uh, yeah, I've been asked lots of questions around it and, um, it's kind of just an inventory of stuff that I've, uh, I like reading, you know, I'm based on my, yeah. based on my age, you know, um, and, uh, uh, those my age, you know, pre, I guess, uh, technology era, um, we were all analog. So it's just something that stuck with me. I really enjoy doing it. It's a good practice for me to continue to learn and, um, it helps me, uh, just wind down and, uh, and stay present. And I think, uh, that's helpful for me. Awesome. Awesome. So we'll go into the IFFF now. So how are you uh, related to the IF3? Yeah, I'm on the board. Or how yeah. yeah, I'm on the board. Um, and I am the director of programming. Um, yeah. So my position on the board is, uh, is I guess more of a person that has had experience in the sport and has coached mm. athletes in the sport and is uh, really top of mind for me is involved, is really interested uh, at a deeper level of the growth of the sport for coaches and athletes. Um, Gretchen uh, runs the entire thing. And I say run the entire thing means a lot of different things, but I, the way I say it that way is that um, the conceptual ideas, the organization of things, et cetera, she's created a, quite a team that, uh, around the world that kind of gets things done for that. And, but I'm a member of that group that wants to, through uh, democratic situations, improve the sport that we see in front of us. Um, so that's really my role on it um, on, for the IF3. Awesome. Awesome. So how long has the IF3 actually been sort of around? Yeah. Yeah. The, because well, I like to say that the idea has been there for over a decade, but uh, it really came into fruition maybe four years ago uh, with a, a contact 
Gretchen and I connected through some other way and, and we just had a chat and as soon as she discussed some of the concepts and ideas, I knew it had decades of uh, opportunity and uh, this really inspiring thought around what I saw um, currently in the sport just needed needed some structure and governance and and um, yeah just just respect really <laughs> I don't even know other way to put it um, and so uh, it's been around for about four years and uh, we've grown tremendously to have uh, I think it's almost forty now um, recognized national governing bodies which puts us uh, in great standing with GAFE uh, which is an organization that sets you up for successful uh, entry into the uh, IOC um, and we're continuing to grow. We have 20 to 30, I think, uh, outstanding um, countries that are willing to come on board and we're still in the practice of getting those together. So you can just imagine in a couple of years, all of those are up on board. We have 70 to 80 national governing bodies. That's a pretty successful run really to get some organization for the sport. Yeah. And I definitely agree that like respect in the sport right now is a very key part, especially with everything that's happening at the moment. Anyway, yeah. um, I got to experience one of the, well, the IF uh, worlds last year in Sweden. And one big takeaway that I found and that I've been telling a lot of other people about is the organization of the event was far better than any other event I've actually been to when it came down to like a functional fitness style competition oh. in everything just seemed actually organized and regimented and, you know, ran so smoothly from the, obviously this is from the outside looking in, not actually going from the back end, but that was a big takeaway for me, not having experienced one of these events yet. And what I actually really enjoyed, yeah. it wasn't, uh, didn't look like just chaos thrown out there constantly. Yeah. So yeah, the, the, um, yeah, there's been a lot of really well run non IF3 events. Um, I don't want to get, I don't yeah. want to give people the picture that, you know, it's, it's always yeah. the case. Um, it's just that, um, yeah, it's just that we've, you know, you got to remember, and this could be something that makes you think about the, what you may have seen uh, outside, you know, in the periphery of that event in Sweden. You know, we, we, want to, we want to allow athletes to have a career. Um, mm. We also want this sport to live beyond us. Um, and yeah. when you, when you have that as your proxy and the reason why you do everything, then it allows a building of a sport, right? If you look at any traditional sport growth, um, before the information age and technological revolution, all those sports were grassroots events with the correct intentions of growing the sport. Now this yeah. sport was grown inside of a technological growth age. Um, where you really don't even know what's real anymore because of online and the prop, you know, propagation of information, et cetera. And it's, there's no one's fault. We all were a part of it. It's just that, that it didn't have the base support to grow the sport forever. So what we want to do in IF3, which as I'm mentioning, you may feel and see the events. I want athletes finishing the weekend um, feeling like they've expressed themselves of all the physical characteristics that are challenging, but be able to go back to training in a couple of days. That's the major yeah. difference, right? We're, I, we, through own per, my own personal practice and putting other people through it, um, the sport is very unnatural biologically. Right? And it's yeah. very harmful. And we, we kind of giggle when we were, when we were to say, you know what, uh, for mixed martial art athletes, when they've trained for seven years, I think they should fight nine times a year. And everyone, no matter what you do or do not know, you're like, that's the dumbest idea ever. I mean, that's just not gonna work, right? But when it comes to our sport, which has arguably more physical trauma, we're good to go on that, right? So what you end up yeah. having is a small percentage of people that just get weeded out, and they probably have enough money made from all the events just to recover themselves or whatever, but the rest just can't persevere. So you have 99% of every other participant having no, you know, background, you know, set up to make this sport last forever. So we want to have the coaches and athletes on board so that they can see it's going to outlast them. And as well, the athletes can have a career in it and, uh, and still have fun at expressing themselves physically 
um, along with a number of other things that I hope you probably sensed in Sweden that's going to come forward in the future. Yeah. So can you go, go into and elaborate more on the career of an athlete and especially because you've actually experienced that in a way yourself? Well, a um, bit. I was, I was older. <laughs> I was older biologically in that period of let's call it expression. Um, I was 33 in 2007 when I won the first games, just to give you an idea as to how much the sport has changed. So, um, and it's taken a while. It's a new sport. It's taken us a while to recognize that, but you're always going to bump up against biological constraints. So this is the way you want to think about answering your question in your own mind is, will we ever have a world champion at 54 years of age? And the answer without you even snickering at it is a complete no. And if your answer is no, then why can't someone who's 54 win in our sport? And we don't have to answer that question, but then you're going to reverse engineer and go back and say, there's going to be a maximal expression period based upon the hormones, the mechanics, the energy that someone has to commit to what's required in the sport, right? At 16, can they do it? Not a chance in hell because they haven't even developed their entire systems. At 24, can they do it? You're probably in the right line of fire now. At 29, can they do it? They're probably really experienced now. At 33, can they do it? you're now like saying, well, you know, they probably are going to have children. They're probably going to have these compounding hormonal situations that are going to happen in a couple of years. You get my point. So what's the maximal expression period for the sport? It's 18 to 30 years of age. So is there error on, you know, the right and left side of that? Maybe on the right side, meaning 31, 32, et cetera, based upon talent pool and the sport expression. But below 18, you're going to find it very unusual to have anyone at world championship level. It's almost like saying you're going to get a world champion 100-meter sprinter um, below 18 years of age. If that ever happens, anyways, we don't need to go down that wormhole, but it's not going to happen. So maximal expression is going to be in the mid-20s. So the answer to that, and I would say maybe females may extend it further out to the right based upon their neuromuscular efficiency, uh, chance of volume or opportunity for volume, we may err on the side of a little bit further than 30 as being a maximal expression, but there's that range for you for a career. So beautifully, you know, you, if you may have recognized, I gave a 12 year career there, which is a beautiful rendition of a quad cycle, which has always been in place for the Olympic movement, right? So the opportunity at 18 years of age, a la Michael Phelps, to be able to possibly step up in your country, represent your country, and to go to the games to represent yourself in our sport is our goal. And for that athlete to come back when they're 22 and they're 26 and possibly 30. But the chances of that happening past 30 is like saying Usain Bolt's going to be a world champion when they're 39. So it's probably that range of our sport that it's, uh, you know, when you step outside of the madness in the sport, um, it gives you a chance to think about things like this. And not a lot of people get a chance to step outside the madness. And so IF3 has done that where we're stepping outside and going, now let's just really think about this. What's our truest intentions and how do we build the best career? The best career is 18 to 30 years of age. And then all the periphery, young athletes, masters, et cetera, will take care of them with, uh, with good intentions, but it's not going to be focused on selling this to be a fitness system. So it's going to help the masses. Hmm. I love that. I love that. You sort of already explained it a little bit anyway, but so, and you've got a bit of a vision of where you want this sport to be and you want it to be able to out, outlive or outlast all of you guys. But let's say across the next 20 years, yeah. so, you know, 2040, do you have a bit of a shorter term plan of where you want to see it, at least by that point? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if you're throwing a softball over for me to talk about the Olympics, but we've chosen the Olympics in 2028 as being a representative sport. Um, so that we'd love to have a crowning of a male and female uh, Olympic medalist in LA in 2028. Ironically, the, the state birth of the functional intense fitness uh, sport um, with Glassman in, uh, in Santa, uh, Santa Clara. Excuse me if I bastardize that. I apologize. Everyone in California is going to kill me for that. But, um, uh, you know, so that would be a beautiful spot to have the... Uh, um, uh, Olympic champions 2028. So that's a short-term goal for our organization and we're doing whatever is necessary to get that. Now, whenever I speak about that Olympic movement, there's always the questions of issues around politics in, in uh, the Olympics and et cetera. And I, I've said this 30 times, but I need to say it again. 
we've chosen that goal as a beacon in order for all the things underneath it to act upon the governance of the sport. Okay. So by getting to the Olympics, we don't all of a sudden now start driving Ferraris with a bunch of old white guys from Switzerland. We built that model in place so that we create governance of the sport. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what it does it, because in my mind, I'm biased to this. And when I talk about it, I feel really good about it because I trained some amateur professional, sorry, amateur athletes who went to the Olympics for Canada and they were basically living off peanut butter sandwiches and big building log houses for eight years in order to get there for five seconds. So I understand the beautiful aspect of the Olympic movement. I see past all the bullshit politics. So when I see a flag and when I see a team coming out on the field, representing one's country in a physical expression, I see it in that light. So I think it's a really beautiful ideal to go after, which is 2028. With that though in mind, you then of course create this beacon for people to create governance, which means that you now start having countries going, you know what, I'd like to be a part of that. Because right now, for every, everywhere around the world, it's basically private coaching, private institutions, or private funding that moves you towards that sport. Meaning that it has to yeah. be you know, privately owned. What's the sport called? Oh, it's whatever you want to do, right? Who can sign up? Anyone. What's inside of it? Well, I don't know, anything. You know, it's like there's no answers on, well, what's the structure of it? So with that yeah. beacon for the games and then governance, which is our second primary idea to get a bunch of different countries on speed with having their own national institutions, education program, the full run of the mill athlete coach, you know, things that you see inside of all well-established sports right now. Um, like on your side of the pond, for example, look how deep the rugby education and rugby um, unions and rugby Sorry if I said that incorrectly, but, uh, you know, your collaboration of how to build the sport. Now you're even talking about it. You could probably see a three-year-old run around going, that there's going to be a good rugby player, you know what I'm saying? But that yeah, takes definitely. time and effort to build it, right? So that's what we want to do is yeah. to create that governance so it spreads worldwide. And uh, that's, our, that's our short-term kind of objectives we're trying to gain from that. And then I should say, sorry, I won't make this one lengthy, but we want to have world championships every year. That basically signifies that we're trying to uh, show the sport, we're trying to show it globally, and then we're now getting a bleeding effect from it, um, meaning that there's a bunch of countries who see that, who are asking us to be like, well, how do we coach this thing? And all the basic questions, right? Like, what's inside the sport? How can I grow it here? My sport minister would love to have a new sport on board. How do I talk to them about building this sport, et cetera? So, um, we're really excited about those short-term beacons that are leading to, as I said, bleeding out this um, new interest. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Has the postponement of this year's Olympics actually adjusted anything at all for you guys? Or have you noticed any of it yet? Not necessarily, no. Because um, we would not be, I think the only thing it would have probably affected, none of us get to see, which is probably backroom meetings that Gretchen is doing with all the people that she needs to meet with to discuss like the future of the sport and and where we sit on yeah. our uh, on our connection to the IOC that's probably you know just uh, nothing nothing too big but uh, that's probably the only thing that we have back from that oh that's good that's good so while we're on the topic of the sport and the olympics and whatnot and you mentioned it already a few times but would you be able to explain the six tests mm -hmm. so Every, every single one of the events seems to have these six yeah. tests. On our first couple of episodes of the podcast, we broke down the ones that were going on for the Australian qualifiers, the online qualifiers at that point. Um, and so, yeah, we broke down sort of what the actual tests were and talked about the workouts and what they were trying to mm -hmm. test. But if you can actually give us a bit more of a, maybe a reason why you chose the tests and what they actually Test. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, we didn't pull them out of our ass. That's the first thing so, uh, so people need to know is that they're well thought out and it's a group process um, and it's taken a lot of experience. We are transcending the sport. What I mean by that, it doesn't seem like, so I don't sound like a dick. We're basically taking all the experience we've had and based upon what we want to have as that beacon for athlete coach relationship, long-term health, that's how we're indicating the growth of it. Just so people could see like that test is fucking stupid. It's like, well, let me tell you why we did it. And then it'll allow you to be educated. And then after a while, you'll go, well, I guess that makes sense in terms of why you're doing it. So first and foremost, we're not pulling it out of our ass. It's based on experience and, um, and really some good data on what's going to be the best growth for an athlete forever. Secondly, we built the test so that people on the outside, besides you and I, could look at the sport and say, how do I train for that? 
because that's an interesting thing that no one thinks about is you want to build up the competitive atmosphere of the sport so people know what's actually in the sport. So that's the, that's the, er that's the area which basically makes everyone really uncomfortable <laughs> because they think that because they've been living in this chaos atmosphere for 12 to 15 years, that's the only way the sport can be done. And you're sorely mistaken and you just need to be a little bit further educated, not to sound like a dick, but you do, you need to do a little bit more reading and a little bit more experience in the sport. And then when you speak with people who've been in the sport for a long time, they'll go, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Create some structure. You kind of know what you need to do to prepare for it. You're not just doing this random training for five years and then you show up and they're like that implement there, you need to do better than 39 other people. And you're like, what the fuck? Like my, I'm fit. I know I'm fit but I'm not fit enough to adapt to that. And you're saying it's because I didn't get practice of that, but eight other athletes did that I'm not as fit. You see where it all goes, right? So that's the yeah. reason why we wanted to structure that is to have not only a base support for people to say, okay, that's the sport. And so you can train for it. You know, I, I kind of just walk over it. It seems so simple, but remember what the market needs to see. So if the IOC looks at us and we go, what do you guys do? And we're like, hey, you're fucking anything. So how do you train for it? It's like <laughs> fucking everything. Uh, so how are we supposed to tell everyone what this sport is? Just tell them it's everything and nothing done for no necessarily reason, but we're going to get good at everything. You know, it's like, that's not a really good answer to discuss exactly what the sport is. So that's great structure. Um, third, this is public information. So that means that everything that we talk about for the education of these particular sports, it's all public availability. There's no veil. We don't hold any like backroom meetings to say this is where it comes from. This is full on transparency in terms of how we discuss the sport. And if you, everyone wants to go from here, from this uh, podcast to learn about it, just go to the IF3 website and we have Zoom meetings, six Zoom meetings of six particular tests in which I explain it and have a conversation on how the tests are derived, how you can do them, how they're scaled based upon local, uh, state, uh, regional, national, world, and Olympic levels. And then you can, you know, basically look at it and go, yeah, that kind of makes sense. I guess that's why you want to do that particular test. So the six tests are named endurance, strength, uh, body weight, skill, mixed, and power. And I'll be very quick on the description of them so you understand. If you go back and look at all the really um, solid, balanced, regional tests, and for those who are listening, if you know a regional mean, those were those were events that were held within a sport of CrossFit uh, around the world numerous times, which basically tested people on five to eight different events over a three-day period, and they had all these different things inside of them, okay? Um, and based upon those, as a base support for just your construct of it, we have uh, um, agreed as a group that these six characteristics of tests would spit out at the end the most balanced form of fitness testing that would allow someone at the end to say that they were tested in all these specific areas. Um, and if, the reason why I say use the base support of the regionals, if, if you look at what our sport you know, names are called for our tests and you go back and look at the regionals, you should be able to look at each one of those tests and say, oh, interesting, that's exactly how that test is prescribed. The reason why I say this is that everyone gets a little uncomfortable again when, you're, when you say we have these structured tests and we, they all think, oh, it's gonna be the same thing every time. And uh, they're not going to be as sensational as these tests that were held. And to my point is like, first of all, you don't even know what testing dose response is. Secondly, go and do your research because you would see that our tests look exactly like those tests. It's just that we decided to name them because we wanted to have a specific characteristic for each one. So endurance for the layman, endurance is basically cardiorespiratory activity either done on a single machine or a bunch of different machines back to back. So as an example, row uh, 500 meters, run 400 meters, do it six times. That's the test itself. And there's a bunch more information that goes into the description of it, but it's basically cyclical modalities done for a longer period of time to test cardiorespiratory activity. The second test is strength. We primarily use uh, strength speed activities in our strength tests. That means you will never, you will, we will probably hardly ever have absolute strength tests. So bench press, deadlift, front squat, 1RMs, et cetera. We're mainly going to have derivatives of strength speed and speed strength, which basically means you will have to do touch and go complexes of the snatch and clean and jerk. You're going to have to do a, you know, a maximum snatch, a snatch ladder, 
um, clean derivatives, clean and jerk derivatives, jerk derivatives, et cetera, and we put that into what we're calling the strength test. The body weight test is proposed over the weekend to test the person's body weight in repetitions. So just think of it, you know, um, and to make it simple as possible, 125 burpees followed by 125 pull-ups. So what we're just trying to do is to focus on massive volume and numbers of one particular gymnastic movement, body weight movement. The fourth one, which is going to take, I'd say about a decade for people to get on board within the concept of it, is a relative strength test using body weight only. So we do feel, and we feel that it's, it's a time to do it, that this test needs to be inside of all fitness testing landscape, regardless of whatever people think about capacity, because it leads to proper training practices of relative strength gained before people do dynamic activities in gymnastics. So as an example, um, do a complex on the rings, a dead hang to inverted, a strict ring muscle up three times, and then a max L-sit scenario. So although, you know, most times when I describe the events, people are like, yeah, but that's not like, you know, suffering for seven minutes. Again, you just need to do a little bit more reading in terms of what your definition is of fitness and what we're trying to test in that test, right? Another example could be handstand walk unbroken, three legless rope climbs back and forth three times. It's still testing relative strength capability. And that's a difference as opposed to doing Cindy, which would be kipping handstand push-ups, kipping pull-ups, and kipping pistols, even though it doesn't sound weird to say kipping pistols, they are, they're momentum pistols. We're trying to take the strict mm -hmm. idea and put it against the athlete so it, it makes them want to train that perspective. And I'm a little bit more lengthy on that one because that takes a little bit more massaging to kind of get people on board as to what's inside the test, and there's numerous other ones. And the last two are fairly simple. Mixed mole, every, mixed, everyone knows mixed tests. So if you've seen all the classic chippers, five rounds for time, heavy deadlifting, GHD sit-ups, box jump over. Uh, you're just using multiple modalities and you're trying to test the person on endurance of multiple modalities, on phase transition between elements, um, pacing scenario, muscle endurance should be challenged. And the whole thing that we find beautiful inside the sport, which is a multiple different modalities going on at one time, and you just gotta figure out how to do it better than others. The last one is, an, is something new as well to the sport. It's a time domain of one to two minutes, and it's uh, work that's done very, very quickly for the highest amount of power output that's necessary for it to be completed. So for example, 15 thrusters and then 25 cals on the flywheel bike, you're done. And the fastest you do that, um, then of course, the, the more points go to that person. So it's basically like a, just hold your breath and go guns a-blazing and hope that you finish okay. So we have endurance, strength, body weight for volume, body weight skill, um, mixed, and then um, power event towards the end. Is there a reason why they're ordered like that? I'm almost assuming that the power one at the end potentially has a little bit of play in being the, the show at the end. You yeah, know, great question. Points at the end, yeah. go for it. Great question. Yeah, uh, yeah well, we'll speak on, speak on power first. Um, if you've ever seen them, they are very entertaining. Um, and I'm not going to say I didn't hijack that over from grid. If anyone wants to do the research of the sport of grid, um, doing those powerful scenarios for a couple of minutes is really, really exciting. Secondarily, though, you do want to think about it, which is a great question. Remember that the, this is something that's not also, well, I'm never inside their minds, but I don't think it's really well thought out, is that when you put together a total event, they all have to work together. So when you put together one movement, one exercise, one dose effect of an exercise session, you have to think how that's going to correlate to all the other ones. So when we're building the six events, when we do that very first event, it's built knowing the other five events. It's not built going, oh, how can we make that really cool? And then be like, oh, now we got to like fill in the gaps for the rest of the five events. No, we all build it together. So that answers your question a little bit in terms of like how you organize them. I wanted them to be expressed over two or three days really effectively. The most optimal scenario is three days where you have endurance and strength. And then the second day where you have the two body weight ones, but they're different versions and different movements. And then the last day you have mixed and then power in the afternoon. And that's generally allows the athlete to also express each of those really effectively. Cause remember, again, we're not into um, sensationalizing or beating the shit out of athletes. Um, those days are gone and uh, we won't be getting behind uh, organizations or systems that promote that. So that's why we have it in that order so that 
athletes can get through it, have these little periods of recovery. Um, and if you, if you study the dose response of each one, um, the really only, you know, massive one that's going to have a, a damaging dose response is the mixed piece. Um, the other scenarios, um, if you want to think about it, anyone at a higher level of gymnastics, if they do lots of reps of gymnastics movements, it's basically just a muscle endurance activity, right? It's almost like what's going to break down and how do I pace this effectively? Uh, when people do the skill mm -hmm. event, if everyone ever did a skill event, you recognize when you're done, it's almost exciting that you got it done with. You don't like go to the crowd and like your hands are ripped apart and you're dying of sweat. You're just excited that you actually completed it. Uh, we all know that the strength event is like really like um, inspiring, right? It drives this really big expression of energy. If you do endurance correctly, you know when you're done, it was just a long, big sweat, right? So I'm, I'm saying this so that people can recognize, oh yeah, it's not just seven beatdowns over a weekend because any 12 year old can prescribe that and we're not into designing it in that format so that we can just uh, beat the crap out of people. Yeah, I when I was first first found out about the six tests and first found out that they were structured in that manner and that pretty much every single event is always going to be ordered in that manner. I personally actually really liked it. Like, especially the gymnastics skill test, to be fair, I liked all of them. I liked that there was actually structure for me as an athlete at that period of time. I thought that was great having structure there for me as a um, coach. I thought that was even better because I like structure. I like actually being able to plan in a way for something. Yeah. And then me as a fan of functional fitness, I thought it was great to watch. Even like when it came down to the gymnastics skill test, I liked that because I don't, you, I don't personally see it tested that much. It, even down at like a local level, you know, like within the city, those little local competitions, no one ever tests it. Like you said, it's generally five to seven beat downs as hard as possible. People are ruined at the end. Mm -hmm. Maybe the skill test might be, you know, a slightly new movement, which probably looks something like a dead ball or a sandbag that only half the field have competed with, but the other half haven't. It's not really an actual proper skill not a definition test. of a skill. No, definitely not at all. Um, so going into the coach side of things here, where do you see a challenge with coaches going forward of coaching the sport of functional yeah, fitness? Yeah, Whew. this is a big one. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be brief yeah. on them um, and then we can squeeze them out. Um, number one, it's the history that we have in online. That's the, that's the biggest issue. Um, this sport, again, like it's going to have to grow, has to be done in person. Um, and mm. so I'll just stop there, but there's just so many challenges inside the coaching profession for reality <laughs> in terms of yeah. how you get good coaching. And there's actually uh, the way that it's set up, obviously with the six tests and knowing what the structure is, you're probably going to want to have a coach in person who could watch you improve on the things that you need to get effectively better at, right? So for you to take someone who can't do a press to handstand and just to give them an online $9.99 a month workout regime for three months, just cross your fingers. You know what I mean, right? Like yeah. there's, there's aspects of wrist extension, hand position, recruitment scenarios, like that has to be done in person. So what we're trying to promote, which is one of the biggest issues, is this in-person phenomena of national institutions or local institutions that are building the sport. Um, secondarily, this will also wash away all the bullshit, you know, stuff that's in our head of online coaching and online judging. And I'm not, I mean, listen, I was inside of that. I built systems that were really effective for this, but it's not going to be good for the sport long-term. And I know there's going to be a lot of people listening in that find that very uncomfortable. And they also may say that I'm just super old and I'm not with the ages and I don't understand anything about technology. It's got nothing to do with that. It's got to do with my uh, base support of what I consider health for long-term for the sport. And it can't be some, some, you know, 18 year old with a snazzy marketing thing, coaching two athletes in Iran, right. For their national organization. You can't have that. And over time, it's going to be the end of the system if we do have that. So that's one of the main issues that coaches are going to have um, on that. Um, secondarily, it's going to be the education. Um, and I, I actually thought about a different one, but this, the education one came to mind, uh, not because I'm biased to what I teach, because I teach Mixed Mold, which is an education platform for people figuring out like how to do this thing that we call the sport. Um, but I think education is going to be an issue because if you, although it may seem like that, there's no actual education in place 
for a coach who wants to coach the sport. And I'll just pause on that one for a second. There's no education in place for a coach who wants to coach the sport. Just because you went to a level one, that does not guarantee that you can coach this sport. Because you went to level two, does not guarantee. Because you went to their fancy program design, does not, you know what I'm saying? Like none of those guarantee yeah. that someone can do it. And the reason why we know that's not the case is because there's been people with experience in the sport who went online and did really good at coaching the sport. So that tells you that mm -hmm. there's no actual way or system to do it for education, but we're not gonna grow the sport if we don't have a particular kind of education from IF3 top down, that's close to free as possible, right? This is not a, this is a nonprofit institution that needs to just proliferate the sports idea and methodology, not to try to make money at the end of the day. So it's really all these conceptual ideas that will go together that the IF3 will push, that will be a big hurdle. And the reason why I say it's a hurdle is because it'll probably take, I'm, I'm guessing probably uh, till 2028 before people really get up to par with being okay with uh, recognizing all this, uh, I call it like leaving the old sport, you know, trying to get away from it and moving into this new rendition with the right intentions. Um, and all the shit that's been happening over the past little while is probably just a sign that it's a good like shakeup and a good opportunity to do this like new thinking around the growth of the sport and um, and how to put it together effectively so we can do it for you know a hundred years. Hmm. I liked that part that you said before about being in person, needing to be in person as a coach, because it also if you look at majority of other Olympic level sports, all of their coaches are generally in person. Sorry, Olympic level athletes. Yeah majority of their coaches are generally in person, you know, Olympic weightlifting, most of them are generally at clubs, part of teams, part of associations where they lift with all their other athletes, their coaches right there. And really, if you look at it with, with most of those sports, then uh, really functional fitness has been the first one where it's pretty much gone to being online coaches, yeah. probably almost dominate the, the field as in for the top level athletes, yeah. you know, most of them have online coaches yeah. and then, so it's like a, it's a, it's an outlier in that way of every other sport's got the in-person coach and all of a sudden this yeah. one just magically has the online one. So that's what I um, said with the tech revolution in the early aughts. I mean, it was perfect timing yeah. for the high intense model to come on board. Um, I'm not, yeah. not trying to hijack the end of your point, but also inside of that, we have to remember that um, this is for sport. I think in fitness, yes. everyone has thought that like you can go to your local box and do fitness and you can also be an athlete and a, and a sporting professional. You can't. So this is also the yep. major difference in the IF3, right? We, we do this because it's a sport. It's for pleasure, yep. paints, points, and prizes. It's got nothing to do with living long and prospering. And we are right up front with that. We're not trying to sell this grandier, grander wish for long-term health, right? No. It's basically yeah. to do a really unbelievable maximal physical expression for 12 years. That's it. So with that yeah. to your in-person thing over time, that will not be capable of being done online and scaled effectively. Um, and when it, when the sport refines, when it grows, we see all the beauty inside of it. It'll just be like, um, I'm not sure if you guys know Dan path. He's a, he's a, a well-known track coach and, um, he went to a number of different organizations around the world and really helped them grow. But you see, he, he actually went there for four years in the Olympic buildup in order to train the team in person. Right. And so when we come in our sport is like, well, how am I going to train for this? Oh, you just find, you know, this guy from California who gives away this nine ninety nine program per month. And he does some private training, but it's like that your answer for me to become world champion in this sport. Um, it's just so funny that, because of this, you know, growth in the sport and the connection to health and fitness, um, we've really just had no no direction in what the like who's a good coach and how you can do it. And so I'm hoping over time that it'll take a long while. I'm not, you know, I don't have my blinders on for that. It'll take a long while until people recognize it has to be in person. And if the issue is with that right now, which it is, to be fair, is that a lot of good athletes don't have good in-person coaches. And the way you fix that is you educate. That's how you fix it. Mm -hmm. um, but the way you educate is close to free information just being spread around the world from a nonprofit organization like the IF3. And that's how we plan to do it. Yeah. 
So it's safe to say that there's probably not much plans of there being, and I have three for health side of things. I will speak on behalf of James Fitzgerald when I make this statement. But yes, I was going to say. Uh, on behalf of I have three when I say it, but you, you yep. do not yep. want to get inside the health realm. That's a whole different not when you're sort of trying to be a sport. And our sport has, yeah. and now you just got people with big quads and looking good on Instagram who are now coaching legit athletes in the sport. And that's a problem. Yeah. 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 Um, so before you mentioned your mixed modal course mm-hmm. and how that teaches about mixed modal mm-hmm. and applying that to, in a way, the sport, but there's nothing actually out currently around coaching for the yeah. sport. Sort of two questions mm-hmm. here. One, can you tell us a little bit more about mixed modal? I've seen it on the website. Absolutely love the look of it. Plan on doing it at some point. Um, and then second of all, do you plan on coming up with something? Because obviously you do come up with a lot of coach education. Yeah. Do you plan on coming up with something that could coach coaches yeah. to coach the yes. sport? Yeah. The, so the second one first, yeah, the IF3 has plans to do that. Uh, we're currently mm-hmm. just taking care of a whole bunch of shit right now. Remember, this is all volunteer and we just all do this because we want to okay. grow the sport, right? So that's, I'm not, I'm not virtue signaling there, my, my efforts, um, but mm-hmm. it's just reality, right? So we do have plans though. Um, the, I guess the positive thing with technology is that that education can be moved around the world very quickly and easily. The issue with it is going to be boots on the ground to make it truly global because you know, for example, um, I coach a number of coaches in Taiwan and Singapore and, uh, uh, lower portions of uh, Southeast Asia. And um, to think that we're going to actually cross the boundaries for language and stuff over there just by me being on a screen for 20 hours talking about the sport, we got a big hurdle to climb for that. So um, we're yeah. just, we're just, we recognize those things. But see, this is the thing about a nonprofit organization. We can get people that can come on board with us and front all that because they just want to help our organization, right? Whereas if you're a private institution, you got to spend a lot of capital to get that up front. And I know that because inside of OPEX, that's what we have to do as a private, you know, company trying to proliferate the concept around professional fitness coaching. Um, Mixed Modal, you can go to opexfit.com and search Mixed Modal and then you'll find it. That tells you everything about it. The reason why I did it really is that I had to get all this shit off out of my head into something, whether, and I, and I wrote four huge books, basically, I analogued it uh, one summer up here, I spent over three months, almost every day for hours, just writing this out. Um, and then we transcribed it into video and on text. And so I mixed mold to me is like, is, you know, how you may hear about people just going down, <laughs> uh, leaving something that was a big impact. Um, the mixed modal course is my book that that's my I had to get it out of my head onto something so I could just like sleep at night. Um, and uh, inside it contains just all the information around sport um, of mixed modal. And that would be CrossFit, Grid, IF3, training for all of those things uh, most effectively. Um, and it hits on some areas that uh, a lot of uh, people have not played with before that, you know, has been inside of me growing, coaching coaches inside of. Uh, the sport for a long time. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's what it is. Awesome. Awesome. I definitely plan on doing that okay. one. So going to go on to probably, you know, the recent news of obviously CrossFit shooting themselves in the foot, but not really going to talk about that as much. I'm also going to talk about how do you reckon coaches and gyms who have consistently identified themselves with that and currently they still love the sport mm-hmm. of functional fitness here. I know coaches and gyms are obviously two very different things in a way, as in gyms are generally for health most of the time. The coaches may be for sport or for health, but is there a way that they can start identifying themselves differently to get away from maybe something that they find quite negative at the moment and towards more the IF3? Yeah. Well, or something that they- yeah, the only olive branch I could, I could offer is that you've got to go back room for a little while and really think about your intentions of your business. Um, you got to sit back and pause, right? Now is not a time to react. Um, if anything, mm-hmm. I've learned over time, not even in a fitness situation, but in business and in life, when it's times like this, you got big decisions, you got to pause and not be reactive. So you got to go back and ask questions if you're the coach inside that gym and say, 
were we doing this for sport or were we doing it for health? And I think a lot of people may end up in the health category and they'll feel good about the fact that now they can go, you know what? It's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy, but I'm going to rebrand possibly um, as this new health initiative because that's my deepest intentions as to why I did this. The sport was just mm. hijacked inside because it created drama and sensationalism, objectification. And so people could attach marketing to that, right? Let's yeah. be real honest, right? And this is how we wrapped it up because I did it too. We called it whiteboard. We called it compete every day, blah, 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 mm. blah, 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 right? And it had nothing to do with that. Our intentions were to help people, you know, get fitter yeah. and live longer, healthier lives, right? So why don't you just say that's what you're going to do, right? And for those who want to actually do it as a sport, like grow a number of athletes, um, really create a great recruitment system, a great organization, then I would say just rebrand and start like a sport performance organization that says we train people for the sport and be super honest about it, right? But don't, don't put this fine line together, you know, where you're like, oh, we train people for the sport and we do eight hours of personal training for gen pop every day just to make our money. Like you're, you're basically, you basically are still under the wrong intentions. Right. So I think if anything, what this has been is hard for a lot of people, but it's possibly a reboot opportunity for a number of folks to say, what's our truest intentions. And I certainly Mm -hmm. know a lot of people can't do this, but this may be an opportunity where you pull your pants up and take on the entrepreneur aspect and get inside of what I've been inside for 25 years, which is a challenging fitness market where results makes a difference in how well you persevere as a business, not the name that you put on up at the door. So that may be challenging for a lot of people to hear, or you may get a number of people that get really excited based upon my message. Um, and if you do get excited with my message, um, you can certainly come and talk to us at OPEX. We'd love for you to be inside of our system. And if you don't, then I would ask you to get inspired of going back to the drawing board, thinking about intention, and then building a business plan, which you really love with the right intentions. And then you'll start getting people surrounding you because you're authentic with, with those actions. Instead of saying, you know, we do it for health. And then people come inside and you're like, and we compete. And then they're like, eh, you know, I'm not really seeing the health thing here. And then it's just churn coaches, churn clients, you know, the whole story. Right. So that may be yeah. a, that may be a, a branch I could, uh, you know, help some people with it, it. mean, and I'm being brief on that because it's, uh, it's a uh, nuanced and it's complex per person. And there's a lot to that. So mm. I'm empathetic. Yeah. I'm empathetic. Do you have many, is, are there any OPEX gyms over here in Australia? Uh, we do not have any in there right now. We had one in Western Sydney and they decided to do a specific yeah. different model inside their gym. Yeah. Yeah, I thought there used to be one, but I couldn't remember if there still was currently. Yes. Yeah. So we have, uh, we have guidelines that you can only do individual design. Um, and we knew that yeah. would be a sore point for a lot of people, but it is what it is. That's our philosophy. We just want individual design inside of our gyms. And uh, some people didn't want to do that, including the folks in Sydney, I believe. I think they wanted to offer different services. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, a lot of people do love the classes, but individual design helps the individual a lot more. Yeah, and that's so, just what we stand behind. So uh, um, our yeah. gyms will, uh, will slowly grow, but um, uh, they'll get there. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, one more question about coaches before we go into a couple of questions at the end here. So for coaches wanting to coach the sport of functional fitness, where do you reckon a good starting point for them? Yeah. So, you know, complete, let's say fresh coach within the realm of coaching functional yeah. fitness. Yeah. And especially with where IF3 is going in the six tests, where do you recommend them start? Yeah. Um, well, it's based upon money. <laughs> so if you yeah. have lots of money, uh, go to opexfit.com and buy Mixmodal. And then ask me a ton of questions as you get through it, to be honest. You know? um, secondly, um, if you have a little bit of money that you want to spend per month, I would ask you to get hooked up with a big dog's coach. Um, because mm. it's very important that coaches get to experience what it's like to be coached to see the process mm. at play. Because when you see the process at play and you go through it, then you'll start to recognize how challenging it is, but also you know, the base support of communication, program design, et cetera. Um, third, yeah. you have to be in the trenches right now, like tomorrow. 
So if you want to be a coach in the sport, my question is, are you teaching someone how to snatch, touch, and go tomorrow? And if your answer is, well, I don't believe in it, and no, I don't know how the skills for it, well, that's your first thing that you need to do, is first of all, get behind the intentions of the sport and know what it is. And then secondly, you've got to practice with people in front of you, right? And if there's no system in place for you to do it, do it for free. I don't give a shit. I mean, you're just not showing correct intentions if you think there's this economic burden. Oh, you know, I, I can't coach because it costs so much money. To just start with people, right? Just go and find people yeah. that want to do the sport and then teach them about it based on your skills and learn. Most times it's, it's really coaches need to be in the mix themselves as a client and then they can learn more about it. Um, there's somewhere in there too where you actually do need to participate in the sport. I don't always tell people to do that because it can certainly end up in them getting the shit kicked out of them. But I do believe that you need to feel it, right? You need to feel what it's like and the anxiety and the food prep and travel and uh, just going through that. Regardless of what we think about our, you know, our values of it being a good design or not, you still need to practice that. Um, and then lastly, it sounds kind of simple, but go online. There's a lot of groups out there right now. Um, who have spit off from my original generation in 2007 and the big dogs, there's numerous groups out there giving away free information as to how you can basically learn about what's inside the sport. Uh, you can start following um, all the better athletes and look at their actual training regimes. That's another positive thing of technology and information that's out there. You can go and search and see exactly what they're doing, and at least they'll give you some conceptual ideas um, as to how to do it. Um, and then at last, of course, I'll just repeat, in the future, we're going to have lots of education from the IF3 that we'll, you'll be able to chew on and have very easy access to um, because we don't want that economic burden being a limitation for us in growing the sport long term. And I know that has to happen through coaches. It has to happen through coaches. Um, and take this the right mm -hmm. way, but not through athletes. It has to happen through coaches. Yes. Athletes, yep. Yep. we love athletes, but athletes need to just physically express themselves as best as possible, but they need good people around them, which is a coach yep. or an organization to take care of those people. Don't worry, you'll make your money, you'll still get your Instagram likes, but you okay. can't organize this sport. And I'm saying that tongue in cheek, I think you know what I'm talking about. Um, it has to be led by adults and a coaching group and an organization who cares about the athletes. Um, it doesn't mean that the yes. athletes can't, uh, you know, lend a new direction, but if it's up to the athletes, um, they're just going to lead it towards whatever makes them the most money. And then we're going to have a repeat occurrence of what we just saw for the past 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely agree there. I love that. I love that. A lot of uh, points there for a bunch of coaches who do listen to this one as well. Do you have any questions before we go on to the final few? No, I'm as overwhelmed with the information. It's great to hear that like, the future of the um, sport has such a you know, positive light because I like the idea that, you know, it can be a business for a lot of people uh, and especially for athletes um, because it is, you know, it's short-lived and it should be something that can be even parried onto further from their career as an athlete because they can parry that into being a coach. And coaching for individuals if right if yeah man that's correctly the, yeah that's what the the role of master has been inside a sport for a long time right um you know yeah. once you moved through the sport you learned so much about it you can now start coaching the sport you know what i'm saying and that's your exactly. role um and it's not going to be for you to be a master's athlete when you're 46 <laughs> yeah no. any yeah good exactly. masters, oh. any good masters today has not been in the sport since they were 20 no, see any no. masters competing yeah. that were in the sport when they were twenty. Um, we're just going to go into a few of uh, some more personal questions for you individually, um, just to get more of an insight into what your vision is for the um, the sport. And first of all, basically, you know, maybe even in twenty or thirty years, and let's say everything manifested the way you envisioned it, what does the sport of uh, functional fitness look like for basically coaches in like yeah twenty years? I think it was very similar to what I said inside the conversation where there will be Olympics. Yeah. Um, there'll probably be the, uh, you know, diamond league scenario like there is for track or different organizations that do private, you know, competitions and organizations and there'll be some infighting, which is all good for the sport, right? You got to have that, <clears throat> but there will be a very clearly identified national governance of the sport. And this solidarity inside of each of the borders around how they do the sport. 
That's what I'd like to see, mm. right? I'd like to see the Australians show up in the Olympics in 12 years and see this unique flavor, right, of like how they coach and how they built it and they're like they're representative of the local group and the landscape and all the history of the sport that went into it, et cetera. You know what I'm saying? So um, I want to see that in 20 to 30 years so that it is just running on its own and it's embedded in there based upon those six tests at the Olympics and how it all bleeds down into the development of the sport at the local grassroots level all the way up. So I, I'd really like to see that. Um, and there's a lot more to what that's going to look like, but that's how I envision it being. Mm-hmm. And to parry off that question and your answer there, uh, where do you see OPEX in all of that as well? we'll yeah, we'll still be in the thick of things, I guess, for fitness. I mean, uh, the pulse of OPEX is fitness, so that's super broad, but uh, it also means that we'll be evolutionary. Um, so that in five years, the biggest tackle we may have to tackle is uh, autonomous function coaching, right? Like, in five years, maybe there will there will be the group class coach will die because all these organizations will put money into just computer screens and uh, you know wearables, and then you don't need the coach anymore. So I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not saying that because I haven't said it before, but you know what I'm saying. So in five years, what will OPEX do? We'll have to then browbeat the market with this concept of the value of a coach, right? So what we're doing today is we're trying to raise the value of the fitness coach through people understanding intentions inside of fitness. And maybe long-term, you know, you've reached out really farther, 20, 30 years, I'll be 76. I'll probably be standing up in front of a room just talking about how important it is to be out in nature and to do some physical activity. That's probably what will end up happening. (laughs) Love it. Love it. All right, so we're going to go on to some more personal questions directly towards you now. So we ask all of our guests, um, which is currently one minus yourself, um, we plan on getting a lot more guests on as well, especially to share this message. But we ask these questions to our guests to find out a little bit more about them as well. I don't know whether you got the email to... So I, did, I generally don't look at them though, because I like freestyling. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So question number one, you get to relive a moment in your life. Which moment would you choose? And would you change anything about it? Um, I'm going to choose two. So I'm your second guest. I'm breaking the rules already, but, um, <laughs> I, I would relive the birth of my children again. Um, that was a very two children. Did you say so? Pardon? Two girls. Yeah. Yeah. So those were, I would love to relive those moments because there was like a, there was like a, an interstellar, um, Morpheus, matrix moment that happened at those point in times where worlds were colliding in my head. Um, there's something mm. so powerful about uh, human reproduction and reproducing another, ch- uh, you know, something of your own. Um, and I just took a lot from that uh, big appreciation and gratitude. So I, I'd relieve those two moments again. Hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, question number two, yourself from 10 years from now knocks on the front door, you open it. What advice do they give you? Uh, stick with it, I would say. Um, cause I'm, I'm, I mean, I can feel that I'm emotionally, psychologically and physically wearing down and it doesn't mean that I'm like falling apart, but, um, I'm, I'm an older person inside of the fitness landscape and the fitness landscape is fairly young. Um, and I'm, to be honest, I'm just getting exhausted, uh, of trying to like, trying to fix and be a part of something that is really really bad and really broken. Um, and I just feel bad about it. Um, so, um, I hope that 56 year old would come to that door and say, just stick with it. It'll be worthwhile if you stay in it and, uh, and keep fighting the good fight. Love it. Good info there. Good info, good answers. And you did well on the fly there. So thanks heaps for coming on. Thanks heaps for sharing your time with us and sharing everything that you could with us. I, I got a lot of valuable information out of that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's great seeing where the vision can be someday. And, you know, especially from you, uh, someone who has such a, a long history in the sport to see the transformation of your thought process into how it can be now. It's, it's phenomenal. So thank you so much. Yeah, yeah it was great uh, being on here. Um, I look forward to episode 100. You can have me back again and uh, we'll celebrate with the same kind of questions and see what moves have happened. See what's changed from there. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Thanks heaps, James. Okay. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode with the coach of coaches, James Fitzgerald. 
Now we have some awesome news for you guys. We got scored ourselves some free resources here from the mixed modal course, and we're gonna send them through to you guys. They are in the link in our bio so that you can download those ones yourselves. That's the game plan Instagram bio, right? Yep, game plan Instagram bio. Now, thanks heaps for listening. Big thing here is we want to share this podcast with as many people as possible. We absolutely loved this episode with James and what he brought to it. So if you guys could please take a screenshot of you listening to it, chuck it up on your social media, share it with as many people as possible. We really appreciate that, guys. That's right. Anyway, again, thanks for listening and we'll catch you in the next episode. See you next time. Bye.